Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back into the coaching staff. And Tony, episode number 52, we have officially made it a calendar year. How does it feel? How does it feel celebrating our first anniversary together? It's very special. Um, you know, I didn't, we started this, to be honest, a year ago. I didn't know if we could find 52 things to talk about now. I mean, you just keep looking at the possibilities of things that are out there. It's like, man, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's infinite, but it, there's a lot more things that we haven't explored. So uh, put the first calendar year and, you know, in, in the bed, so to speak. Yeah. Get ready for the second year next week. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, for our anniversary dinner, you go ahead and get yourself uh, some extra horsey sh- sauce. All right, buddy. There's nothing like the Arby sauce. You betcha. We betcha. <laughs> so, episode 52 here, and uh, I have, I've got eight uniform numbers here for you, Mr. Viss. Oh, boy. I, I've got three footballers, two pitchers, and three basketball players. So, we're, we're stretched out here a little bit this week. So, where do you want to start? Let's go football. Okay. Because I think I got... The anchor of the Steel Curtain offense, Mike Webster. Got it. Um, and then I'm sure there's got to be a linebacker that wears 52. Two of them. Who? Um, Maybe the greatest linebacker ever. Ooh, greatest linebacker ever. That's what Belichick called him. Huh, because Lawrence Taylor would be 56. Mm-hmm. And that's let, who I would thought. Let me rephrase that. The greatest inside linebacker ever. Inside linebacker. Teddy Bruschi? No. 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 Uh, uh, did he play for the Patriots? He did not, but he was a thorn in their side for many a year. Oh, Ray Lewis. There you go. And then the other one is the only linebacker ever to appear in a Pitch Perfect movie. Clay Matthews. There you go. There you go. All right. Uh, pitchers or basketball players? Let's go hoops next. Okay. Um, Two forwards and a center. We got a, we got a complete front line here. Small forward, power forward, center. Jamal Wilkes. There you go. Um, man. I'm drawing a blank now. The prototypical 80s power forward. 80s power forward, prototypical. Played for two, basically for two franchises for his career. Not good enough to be an all-pro, but always on the cusp of being an all-star. I want to say Charles Oakley, but I think he was 34. That is correct. The 34 part. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, War goggles. What's that? War goggles. Kevin Willis? Nope. Uh, played on both coasts. Started on the East Coast, ended up on the West Coast. Kurt Rambis? No. No. Man. Want me to give it to you? Sure. Mr. Buck Williams. Oh, I would never have got to him, but yeah, I remember Buck. Yeah, okay. New Jersey Nets, and then he went to Portland. Yep, yep. And then our third one, uh, his heyday was in the aughts. Uh, post player uh, was an all-star. I, as I was researching this, I didn't realize this. Was an all-star in both conferences. 52, a center. I think he went to college at... Um, yeah, he, he's a Big Ten player. Purdue. Undrafted. I did not realize that. Undrafted. Purdue center. I'm drawing a blank on this one, too. Brad Miller. Oh, okay. Yep. Remember Brad as well. Played yep. for the Bulls. Yes, he did. Yeah, had had a good run with the Bulls as well, so... Two pitchers, uh, both starters, one right-handed, one left-handed. Hmm. I'm, this is 52 is not good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mark Langston. Nope. Most uh, left-hander, most notably with the Yankees. David Wells? Nope. Longer than David Wells. C.C. Sabathia. There it is. And the other one is the only the second pitcher in Major League history to throw a no-hitter in the postseason. Hmm. I don't think it's Roy Holiday. You should have stayed with that guess. I should have? Yes. Roy Holiday. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Mr. Viss, you are on fire. There it is. Eight of them. Eight up, eight down. And you only needed help with... I only had to give you one of them. So that's pretty good. I think he with Buck Williams and Brad Miller. Oh, yes. That's right. Sorry. Two. So you shot 75%. Not bad if I was at the free throw line. Yeah, exactly. So, um, all right. So this week's topic, and this is a big matzo ball there, Georgie boy. <laughs> <laughs> Fixing youth basketball. Tony, here's my first question. Are we stupid for even trying to talk about this? No, I wouldn't say that we're stupid. I think it's one of those things where you have to be careful yeah, because it, you know it has a lot of layers to it, and there's some strong feelings and stuff like that. But I think that you don't avoid the tough, uncomfortable conversations. And I'm not saying that we're gonna fix it, but you at least got to get the conversation going. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I believe that you know the the bullet points that I wrote up. Uh, you know, it's it's just. You go so many different directions because I know for me, Tony, I'm really torn at times with what we have our kids do. Uh, I feel like childhoods kind of get shorter and shorter at times. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at the same time, I realize in today's day and age, you have to have kids who have put in really, really good time, who have really developed their skills in a situation like you and I are at, uh, either in or around large metropolitan areas, those kids have probably played some really, really high-level AAU. And that requires a really, really big commitment that, like I said, takes away from their, their, their youth a little bit, their childhood, you know, their... Instead of playing on the blacktop with buddies, they're traveling to Indianapolis and Miami and Bismarck, North Dakota, and 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 Boise, Idaho. Which that's one thing. I, I <laughs> not to jump ahead. Uh, you you never see an AAU tournament uh, uh, on a national scale in in Bismarck or Helena, Montana. Nothing against North Dakota or Montana. I think every club team should be required to take one trip there if they're really committed to it. And, you know, they just magically end up in Phoenix and Los Angeles and Miami and exotic hotels like that, you know. So, but uh, it it is really, in a lot of ways, being torn because I want to win. I want to win as many games as I can. I want my kids to work hard in the offseason. I fully realize that we have to put in really, really good time in our offseason. But I also want our kids to have some balance of life and you know continue to do stuff that makes them happy as as well and and not feel like basketball is a job to them and we're talking about basketball here but it could be baseball softball soccer you go on down the line uh there's something for for everybody you know so um that's kind of my lead thought in a lot of ways tony how about you yeah you know it's one of those things where and again you use the term youth you have to be careful to kind of put a, you know, a, a age frame on that a little bit. Uh-huh. And I think one of the things that, that worries me is the number of games compared to the number of practices. Yep. And that's the one thing I would state right out of the gate that if I could fix, you know, as the czar, the commissioner, whatever term you want to throw in there, that would probably be the number one thing. I mean, I think they should practice in all honesty, you know, four or five practices to every game that they play. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the part. Cause I mean, I'm not trying to be the killjoy and, and take the fun out of it because I, I think the kids really, really like the game, so to speak. 
but in terms of their development, the practices is what's key. Yeah. And, you know, when you're playing, you know, 30 plus games and you're practicing five to 10 times, there's something wrong with that equation. Yes. I agree with you 100%. I actually had down, you know, four to one uh, practice to games. That's a minimum of, of four mm-hmm. to one. And that's never going to happen, though, no. because. Not the uh, current model. No. Uh, and, and I understand. Uh, that people now, today, as opposed to 20 years ago, this is literally people's livings. And they want to go to tournaments. They want to bring kids to tournaments. Uh, they've got to travel. They've got to host things. They've got to do stuff. And, and you're not really making money off of a team practice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but I think that's really the, the most important thing. I, I think there's... There's this stark divide, Tony, uh, between games, and now we don't really have practices as teams, but we have individual trainers. And what is missing in a lot of ways is how to play off the ball and how to make the uh, extra pass in a lot of ways. Now, there's ways that we can circumvent that. You watch film, you watch stuff on TV, you know, this is what you know we see here. But just having that natural feel and playing without the ball in our hands and making the right cut and the right read based on what the defense is doing all the way down the line, I think that is where we miss out on when it comes to the practice stuff. A lot of kids are doing the skill development stuff with a with a trainer, and so they're getting the shots up. You know, you bring up Jamal Wilkes in our number 52s. One thing that we rarely see anymore is the unique Jamal Wilkes-esque jump shot or some guy that just, you know, even like a Magic Johnson or a Larry Bird that shot the ball differently than, you know, what the pure shooters of today do. And that is because of training, and we shoot it better. Uh, but I, I think there's elements that when those guys are playing and playing out on the asphalt and just playing without plays and a coach doing this or that, that we're missing from the equation. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the big things, you know, is, is the creativity aspect of games, you know, and unfortunately everything is structured Uh and you don't just let them figure it out. And I, I think that's, we're, you know, we've, we're seeing gains in terms of athleticism and vertical leap and, and so on and so forth, but we're missing the creativity and figuring things out. Like, you know, if there's an argument, how do we pick teams? Um, how are we going to, uh, is it winter stays or do we alternate every other? And I, I think we're missing some of that in, in today's society with youth. And that's a big part of it because adults have come in. And one of the big things is adults have made it about money. And that's another thing that scares me a little bit is with sports, are we eventually going to lose it from the high school and, and middle schools and so on and so forth? The, the whole, uh, you know, education side of it with athletics and is it just going to become a club money-making thing? And, and there's a lot of signs, and a lot of, you know, uh, evidence that it's, it's heading that way. And I would hate to see that happen because you're going to see a lot of kids who can't afford it that are going – that really, really need athletics. They're going to be priced out of it if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you can't afford the training, you then are not as good, which means – you're not going to stay out for something where you keep getting your brains beat in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. kids don't have that, that perseverance to put through that mm-hmm. as much as what they used to, because kids in the past, you know, they, they loved it and they would stay out for it and they might get, you know, smoked at it or whatever, but eventually through perseverance and, 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 you know, will they would make themselves into a player. And, and a lot of times, you know, just being kind of gender specific guys mature a little bit later and you ha- you might miss some of those late bloomers. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll use the example here, Tony, in, in my town here of, of Omaha. Uh, I cannot remember the, in, in class a in, in volleyball and, and Nebraska is, is more of a volleyball state than it is a basketball state or really any other sport. It's a volleyball state much in the same way that Iowa is much more of a basketball state than it is a volleyball state. 
that being said, if you take a look at at Omaha, uh, I can't remember the last time one of our Omaha public schools qualified for the state volleyball tournament. And and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe like a central slipped in there. But oh, you know, since I've been here twenty some years, there might be a couple of occasions. But every other time, it has been a suburban school or a Catholic school. And I was at a suburban Catholic school for a long time. So I'm I'm not sitting here throwing stones in a glass house or saying you know I, I I've. I've lived that, lived it, and done it, and seen it uh, play out. And I'm not criticizing anybody for that. I'm just pointing it out as a fact that when we are talking about trying to do what's best for our youth, that that price point in volleyball, when you're talking at minimum, you're shelling out a couple of thousand dollars probably for a decent youth program that's going to travel a little bit, that's going to give you training, and you're going to get some games in. Um, there's, there's just not. A lot of uh, a lot of folks in that that are willing to make that investment. Uh, it seems like in the Omaha public school system, whereas in the suburban schools, that's a lot more readily available, and and the facilities are out there, and and so that is where you're talking about the money making aspect of it. That's where things kind of, you know, make it difficult to level the playing field because in a situation like that the playing field in all honesty isn't isn't very level in in that regard no doubt about it and i think you know, you see that throughout like here in iowa it is the des moines suburbs those are the ones that have been you know dominating the sports scene for a while now and a lot of it goes back to kind of what you were talking about whether they play for all iowa attack or you know the rockets and, and club volleyball or whatever and i, I just say i would you mentioned that iowa is more of a basketball state than a volleyball state i would disagree with that i think iowa uh, a handful of years ago made that flip as well where i would consider iowa to be more of a volleyball state than a basketball state and you know it's, it's just interesting when you take a look at numbers you know volleyball programs having 70 80 100 kids out in basketball struggling to get 15 20 and in some cases you got a big smile on your face if you have 30 coaches put it on your calendar right now saturday october 14th sunday october 15th 2023 the first annual a pen and a napkin fall coaches retreat here in omaha we've got a little bit of everything for everybody we are going to start our day 10 a.m saturday morning with a live practice session with Kirk Walker and the College of St. Mary's women's basketball program here in Omaha. Then we're going to move everything to the Holiday Inn Express here in Omaha, 87th and Dodge. We've got a lot of things planned. We've got speakers like myself talking about 25 universal truths in coaching along with practice planning and a practice uh, planning an efficient practice. We've got Jeff Steinis, the boys assistant coach at Ames, Iowa, talking about building a complete program. We've got Tyler Shaw, the girls head coach at Sydney, Nebraska, talking about coaching cheat codes. And we've got Tom Craven talking about transition basketball and transition offense and the Boys Town way of doing things out of Boys Town here in Omaha. The best thing about a pen and a napkin clinics, though, is the interactive part of it. We've got small group coaching roundtables where you're going to pick the brains of three or four other coaches at the same time. Then we're going to have big group discussions. You're going to come up and you're going to have to talk. When you come to a pen and a napkin clinic, you've got to bring your own ideas. We're going to have a situation score discussion on Saturday night. Sunday morning, we're going to have a basketball smorgasbord session where we're going to talk about issues that coaches need to think about off the floor and how things can derail you off the floor and how to prepare for those type of things. So it's going to be a great weekend at a very, very affordable rate. If you would like to stay overnight at the Holiday Inn Express, it's $175 for everything, your room, your food, your drinks, everything that we've got going on, you're going to be taken care of there. If you're a commuter, it's $100, $100. All of this, it's, it's 26 hours, coaches. It's 26 hours of awesome awesome information and again the best thing about it is you are going to be picking the brains and learning from other coaches you're not just going to be sitting there getting lectured to the entire time we're going to be moving around so hotel rooms we need to have at least 10 rooms filled i'm sorry five rooms filled with 10 uh, boarders by september 15th that's my cutoff date so if you want this to happen get signed up now so we fill up those five hotel rooms with at least 10 coaches Commuters, you got till October 12th to get signed up and ready to go. 
Coaches, you're not going to regret this. There's a lot of really good places to go, but I really think we do it really well here at A Pen and a Napkin. So come check out our first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat. You know, yeah, I agree with you. The, the less control by adults and, you know, just playing pickup. Just playing pickup. And, uh, I, you know, where I grew up in, in, in Sheldon, I, I lived a block away from the Central Middle School, and it was the full court place you know, we, we had a full court, uh, asphalt, uh, court on, on that, uh, at the school. And so I could dribble down there in two minutes and, uh, be playing full court basketball. And, and I just think, uh, the, 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 the blessing of club AAU, that type of thing is the ample opportunities that those kids get to play and improve over and over and over again, but also that competitiveness and well, if we lose this game, I know I've got two more games this weekend. And yeah. instead of, you know, when we were playing in Sheldon, uh, or even when I was in college and you're playing pickup games and there's 30 guys and there's only one court, you lose, you're out for a half hour, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. wait, waiting to play the next one. So I, I think there's that element of that, you know, the officiating part of it, you know, shooting for teams, all of that type of thing that I think we need to do a better job of returning back to the kids. And part of that, and we tried some of that this summer with like, uh, I brought it up before those sniper sessions of just a kid getting in a gym and being creative on their own and not having an adult telling them to do this, you know, point A to point B to point C to point D, you know, trying to tap into that. And and we're, we're talking to our kids about what they thought of them uh, right now. And kind of, you know, with a little bit of perspective and, you know, that's, that's, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I agree. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about this summer uh, a few podcasts ago uh, with Jeff Steinus was the whole three-on-three thing. And I would love to see something like that catch on where kids can just play and be creative. You know, that's with, with coaching soccer, you know, and, and coaching basketball, one of the big differences, soccer, it's about formation, whether you're running one striker, two strikers, three strikers, whatever but you're not running a lot of sets. Kids are just playing, and I think they really enjoy that. And sometimes in basketball, you know, when you run 15, 20, 25 different set plays, are you teaching kids how to run plays? Are you teaching kids how to play? And I think that's a a big difference with it as well. Yeah. Let's see here. Um, Here's another thing I would like to do, Tony. Uh, I would like to educate parents better. I think we need to do a better job of educating parents on youth sports, youth basketball. And I, and I, and I try to do that. And I think a lot of uh, coaches do talk about it. I'm sure they do, but I think there's more that that we can do myself included. I'm I'll, I'll gladly throw myself under the bus on that. Uh, but just about the life balance uh, the expectations of their their kids and and what they should expect in you know chasing the almighty scholarship. Well, for every athletic scholarship, and we're not even talking full ride athletic scholarship. We're just talking scholarships. And I know at at NAIA schools they they give away a lot of scholarships just to get kids in the door. You know, so they'll stay at school for a year or two or that type of thing. Uh, for every for every athletic scholarship, there's ten academic scholarships, something yep. along those lines. You know, um, the mental health of it all, and, and keeping that balance, the wear and tear on their body. I have a feeling, you know, twenty or thirty years from now, we might be looking back at this era, going, "Oh my goodness, what did we do to the human body?" And and just you know, just the perspective of it, winning and losing. You know, uh, you're, you're gonna. You're going to run into a buzzsaw every once in a while. You're going to run into some super team that's that's taking kids from all over the state or all over the region, and you've got your local Cedar Rapids team, and you're just going to get your doors blown off. That doesn't that doesn't mean you're a bad coach or your kids are bad players. It just means, man, you just you know, and, and just because you win a bunch of games against a uh, a bunch of lower level teams, that doesn't automatically mean your kid is is ready to to sign on the dotted line with Michigan State or or UConn or something like that. So I, I think that that's something that we can do as well. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that you touched on perspective. Ten academic versus one athletic scholarship. You know, and sometimes you see colleges that that give you a little bit of money to get you in the door and you know run up debt or whatever the case may be so they can keep their doors open and and make more money and different things along those lines 
Um, you know, those, those are concerns, you know, educating parents is important. You know, one of the things I think kids fear after a game is the ride home, you know, helping parents be able to, to navigate that, that car ride home, you know, Hey, did you have fun? Because I think that's, that's an important question to ask, you know, did you have fun? Um, you know, I love watching you play. I think that's something that kids need to hear a lot of, you know, what did, what did the coach say as far as, you know, after the game or specifically to you, but just giving them some, some guidance in terms of how to navigate that car ride. And then if the kid wants to keep talking, guess what? The kid's going to say stuff. They're going to, you know, you don't have to force it out of them. If they don't want to talk, don't make them talk. But I, I think those are, are key things for that car ride on the way home. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with those things, just helping parents, giving them perspective. And then you mentioned, you know, injuries and stuff like that. Orthopedic sur- surgeries have gone through the roof. They are skyrocketing because a lot of times what's happening is kids are getting out of that multi-sport mentality. Hey, you know, it's it's the fall season. I'm playing football. Winter, I'm going to play basketball. Yeah. I'm going to play baseball in the spring or whatever the case may be. And then they're, they're getting all of their different muscle groups exercise and strengthen and they're like no i think i'm going to focus just on whatever i mean your arm only has so many swings or so many pitches or whatever in it and so like i said we are seeing skyrocketing due to overuse and things like that with orthopedic surgeries and so yeah i think we're going to sit back in 5 10 15 years and go what in the world were we thinking yeah um what is what's uh what's some other things on your list tony you know, Marty, one of the things, you know, I, I go back to, and I, I think you've hit a lot of these things already. Number one, I think we got to go back to, we got to emphasize more fundamentals and, and stuff like that, practice and, and creativity and things and get away from so many games. Number two, we've got to give control back to the kids. You know, we done that earlier. Get the adults out of it and let them figure some of these things out because, you know, we, we see those commercials in the NCAA, you know, however, whatever percent of people that are professional athletes, but we're taking some of those professional skills away from kids by all the time dictating their schedule and, and, and solving arguments and, 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 you know, different things like that, that we've got to pass those responsibilities on to them in, in terms of their development, with their social, emotional learning and things like that. Educating parents, um, perspective, uh, and just taking some time to let them be a kid and not you get these overuse injuries and to really hammer home and to really promote being a multi-sport. Those would probably be the five, six things that I would really emphasize if I was the youth sports czar. Mm-hmm. I don't want to you know, get into where there's 10, 15, 20 things because then I think it becomes overwhelming. But if you can keep it to about five, six things, these are the items I think – that I would use to fix the, the youth sports dilemma that we have going on. Okay. So you hit on some of my things. So here are, if, if I were the youth basketball czar of the universe, all right, what was that? Marvin the Martian? Was was he the yeah. guy from Bugs yeah. Bunny? Yeah. So if I was like that, and, you know, uh, was that okay? <laughs> it's not as good as my Strack, but eh, it's not bad there either, eh? You know? Um, uh, when we were in Jamaica, 15 second story, when we were in uh, Jamaica for vacation, there was a, a young Scottish couple in their mid twenties that were, uh, uh, on their honeymoon. And, uh, as soon as I found out that they were Scottish, oh, I went right over there and we started translating and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, what's it like up in the Highlands? You know, uh, uh, I'm sorry for that last 30 seconds of your life that you're never going to get back, folks. Uh, I've got five things. If I were the youth basketball czar, here are the five rules that I would propose. And I know it's impossible to do any of this, Tony. I, I fully get But here's five things I would like to see. All right. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Number one, until and, – and, 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 you know, we would we would figure this out, what would be appropriate. Youth levels, the, the younger they are, first, second, third graders, smaller basketballs, lower baskets, so they can learn how to shoot it properly. What do you think? That, that's on the money. You know, and 
people don't know, like, you know, the girl ball 28.5, there are 27.5 and maybe even 26.5 balls out there that I don't know if people know that. Mm -hmm. And then obviously with the goal setter and the different baskets, you know, the adjustable hoops is is a no-brainer. I have played Patrick Ewing in our old driveway on an eight-foot hoop with a 27.5 when my kids were younger many, many times, my friend. So (laughs) I dominated. And when I hit that shot, you know what I said? Yes, and it counts, Patrick Ewing. So I'm just throwing them all out here today. So number two, here's my second rule proposal. Are you ready, sir? Yeah. No pressing. Again, this will be negotiated. No pressing until X grade. And I'm thinking like, Seventh grade. Yeah. You know, starting in seventh grade, you can start pressing. Now, with your with your pressing, and I'm not trying to give away anything, would you throw zone defense out with it, or is that a, is that a different one? That would be rule number three. Nobody is allowed to play zone until eighth grade. Okay. That would be rule number three. So two and three are somewhat connected. Now, mm-hmm. you could have like a press, like at Snow Valley, you know, we have the rule where if you're down with four minutes left to go, then you can press. You know, mm-hmm. or, or or something along those lines, uh, but you know, steal layup, steal layup. Well, how are we developing skill? You know, just you're just more athletic, so you could steal it and go in and shoot a layup. Well, that's great when you're in fourth or fifth grade. Can you hit an open jump shot where you're in tenth grade? No, you can't because all you've done is steal layup, steal layup. So now we're not as successful. And of course, that's your fault or my fault as the high school coach because we're not winning every game because now everybody's caught up. You know, type of yeah. So, um, rule number four, and it's getting harder to implement these rules, Tony. All right. But rule number four, your athlete has to play at least one other sport before they can play, uh, while they're, you know, so within the calendar year, they have, there has to be some sort of documentation process that, uh, I'm playing football or I'm playing volleyball or whatever. Again, through about, I'm going to say eighth or ninth grade that you you have to play at least one other sport while you are playing basketball within that calendar year. I belong to uh, the Bears youth football team in sixth grade, and I played the full season or something like that. Again, to take away the wear and tear, have kids broaden their horizons, let them know that there's more than one sport out there, uh, you know, just, just all the reasons that we've kind of talked about earlier in, in the pod. What do you think? Seems fair. Okay. Number five, here's my other one. If you are going to be a coach, you have to belong to a mentoring program uh, for, you know, X amount of time. So if you're just starting with such and such organization, you know, kind of like in in uh, European football, uh, they have the different levels of coaching qualification, licensing and, and, and things like that. And I think that you have to hit a, a certain threshold and 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 you know somehow organize it to where we have a, you know seasoned and experienced coaches like you and I uh, doing something with the coaches to simplify the fundamentals to kind of deprogram some of our players where you know they're watching clips of certain players on on certain platforms and yeah you know that guy can do it but you are he, he is the the one percent of the one percent of the one percent of the one percent that can do something like that and be successful uh you know and and help coaches just like we do with our youth program at our at our school here's here's good solid fundamental drills that players need here's how you should structure a practice here's what you should be emphasizing in games and 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 i'm not as I say that, I don't want to sound like I'm throwing a bunch of people under the bus because a lot of people I, I know, well, nobody else will do it, so I'll do it. I really don't know what I'm doing, but nobody else is willing to put in the time and the effort, and I want my kid to have a good experience. So you know, But in, in a lot of those situations, we can develop tools and ways to help make it, if, it's, if, it's, if we can make it 10% better. 20% better this year. Then the next year, it's 30% better or 40% better, and we continue to make it better as we move on. So, um, And again, that's obviously what a pen and a napkin is all about, helping coaches get better. But I, I think that's something that we, 
have to perhaps do a, a little bit more of a job like they do in, in soccer. Obviously, it works in soccer in Europe because it's it's part of the system. And so don't tell me we can't do it here in the States with basketball. You know, and I think USA basketball has kind of carried that flag, if you will, for basketball in our country. I think very easily, you know, that that could be the platform and or something to, to follow as the model. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with the technology and the stuff that we have out there, we could very easily set up something. And the real winners in this whole thing would be the kids. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. And that's what it should be all about. And again, 100%. again, I'm not I'm not uh, angry with the parent that just volunteers because nobody else will do it. That's 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 on other people, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, for people that know me. When my kids were playing, I didn't coach them, but I had my reasons for it. You know, the biggest reason is my kids see me as a coach enough. I just I want to be a parent. I, you know, they, they've seen me coach their, literally their entire life. And, and so we do enough of talking about that stuff and doing that stuff and having that stuff around our house. Uh, I, I don't want to, I, I want to not just have our relate, my relationship with my child be about me coaching them in their various sports. And, and that was for the long-term health of me and my children's relationship, uh, because I just don't want it to be all about that. I want it to be about as many different things as we can possibly make it. So I, I, I think that that's, that's my perspective on that as well. And I, I think that's the most important one. Like I said, out of the five rural things you would put in there, I think that one, the fifth one was the most important one. Okay. So what do we need to do to make this happen, Tony? You know, in terms of being able to make it happen, I just think it's got to be a situation where there's a large governing body, you yeah. know, whether that's USA basketball, whether that is AAU, whether that is, you know, the different athletic unions in each state, whatever. There's got to be a governing body that is under the auspices of some national federation, you know, whether it's the NFHS or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's, we've got to kind of cede some power and allow them to, to do that. And, you know, if you want to do this, that or the other, this is what you have to do in order to have a team. Um, but, yeah, I, I just those those organizations kind of got to get in gear, communicate with each other a little bit uh, and just make it a little bit more of a smoother transition. But what we have right now is about a thousand different groups going a thousand different directions mm-hmm. and there's no there's really no structure no leadership but there's got to be somebody that has that power whether it's the president appointing someone and then from there it just kind of goes out to the states or whatever yeah but there's got to be some type of structure and this thing's got to get moving before before this thing crashes and and i think one of the things with that tony is it's just like with anything else the cream rises to the top so you know, this summer I went to a, a big Adidas three-stripe national deal and, and everybody, you know, there was had to be 50, 60, 75 Division One coaches at minimum there, probably more. And there was no chirping at the officials. There was no this, the parents, you know, because that's the, that's the best of the best. And the coaches just coach the game and... Those, those people don't need any help because those players are finding the best AAU coaches that they can because they are the best players and they want to be coached and coached the right way. And they know that if they're not coached the right way, they're going to go find somebody that will. I think a lot of that is, is not the issue when, when, we, when we're in those situations. It's the, it's the lower levels. It's the youth stuff. It's the kids getting started out. It's the, it's the church league teams. Uh, things like that that we can we can hopefully do some things to to help them out and and i you know there's more than enough platforms to be available uh for them to to look at here you know a pen and a napkin being example one and and there's a bunch of people that do what i do a lot better than i do it and and so i'm not the only one uh but at the same time one thing i have noticed as well is you can only you know you can only lead a horse to water you can't make them drink it and yeah. and there again, there are circumstances where 
parents get busy. Parents are raising their children. Parents might be working two jobs to to have their kid uh, go to such and such school or give them such and such opportunity just to play. And they don't have time to develop their coaching skills the way that maybe they would perhaps do. So we revert to to not very good habits or we just, you know, there's just a uh, a lack of not knowing what to do. I want to do it better. I just don't know how to do it better, but I don't have the time to do it better. Uh, you know, just a, a lot of different things. And, and I would just like to, just like you and just like many of us in the profession, Tony, we just want what's best for the kids. And we're willing to do that. We're willing to help. But there's also got to be some sort of steady hand that guides us in the direction that we need to go. Correct. You know, and there just isn't that one person that kind of puts the order out there to the various state leaders who then pass it along to the various cities. And yeah, there just isn't that that structure like it needs to be. But at the same time, you know, I think it's one of those things, the path of least resistance. Let's don't, you know, let's don't overly govern it and regulate it and whatever. But uh, I think we're at a critical point to where there, there needs to be that. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. You know who we should put in charge, Tony? Obviously, Europe, they'd fix it. You know the first thing that Europe is mandating if they become the basketball youth czar? The final countdown. They, they, the play, they, they play it right after for, for every introduction of every team. That's what's played. So. They get it fixed. At halftime, they would play Carrie, the power ballad. You know, that's how long halftime is. Makes sense. Absolutely. I'm a moron. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> all right, Tony, you've got trivia. You've got trivia. Yes. Oh. Um, the WNBA viewership is up. It seems like there's more interest in it. Uh, we've seen an influx of triple doubles and 40 point games this season. So, my question is related to 40 point games. I want to know what WNBA player has the most 40 point games this season and how many. I believe it is Brianna Stewart with three. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, and it counts. Yeah, she's pretty good. She's not bad. Yeah, not yeah. bad. She'd at least come off the bench for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we might find her some minutes here and there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, which, with that, and, and man, that, that was like the quickest trivia we've ever had, Tony. So You were on her all over that. I was all over that one. So that moves us into... That moves us into our TWIB segment this week in basketball. Let's start with a little WNBA here, Tony. We've had a little power shift in the last week or two. What what are you, what are you seeing, buddy? You know, we had like that three-game matchup between uh, the Liberty and the Aces, and the Liberty took the first two of those three games convincingly, and then the Aces uh, won the other day to snap the, the Liberty's win streak against them at, to, to, at two. And then the Aces turned around and got knocked off by the Sparks, who are trying to make a late season uh, push here and, and get into the playoffs. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you see the Liberty ascending and going up. And I think it, it shows a couple things. Number one, uh, it takes time for chemistry to develop because it's been 
most of the season for the Liberty to get to the point that they're at. But number two, I think it also shows missing Candace Parker for the Aces. And, you know, I'm not sure when she's going to be back, but she is going to be back for them and what a critical piece she is because the Liberty size gave uh, Asia Wilson all kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. Um, But the team that really kind of intrigues me um, is Dallas. That's the team. I I look at them as the dark horse, you know, with, uh, with Enrique Ngubawale. Um, But I think they, they could be a team you know, because everybody keeps talking about, you know, Liberty and Aces. And every once, once in a while, you'll hear somebody talk about the Connecticut Sun. But I really think Dallas is very, very dangerous. And that's that's the team I would keep an eye on as the dark horse in the playoffs. Well, and, and I forget the playoff structure, Tony. Is it uh, like best Is it best of three and then the finals is best of five or something? Along I believe so. I think yeah. the early ones are just, you know, winner moves on type thing. And then once you kind of get out of that initial round, then I think it's best of three. Yeah. So, and I, I think the finals are best of five. And mm-hmm. so, like, if, if you're Dallas, who's kind of gelling together, Connecticut, who's, you know, kind of coming together here, uh, a little foul trouble and a turned angle, and all this, all of a sudden they steal one, let's say, in the semifinals, and it's like, oh, hey, we just got to find a way to win one out of two games here, you know, uh-huh. type of a deal. And and so I agree with you. I, I, I think the, the world is shrinking a little bit. I, I like what you said there, Tony, about, you know, it's a long season. It takes time to gel. And, you know, since I've gotten back into it, I've really chopped up our season into thirds. And I just assume, and I just use the fifteenth of every month as kind of the uh, the, the date. Uh, and, and I know, like this year, I think we started on the thirteenth, whatever it is, you know. But I, I basically say, in my in my mind, I think from November fifteenth to December fifteenth, it's just going to be an absolute mess, and oh. we're going to be all over the place, and we're going to make a lot of mistakes, and hopefully, we could just survive that first month and and get some really good things done while we lay the foundation want to see improvement uh want to see real good steps forward you know december 15th is our baseline and then you know december 15th to january 15th we want to see good improvement we want to see solid things and then we start really worrying about winning games from about january 15th on where we want to really be hitting our stride and head into the postseason the best that we can and from from january 5th to you know hopefully at some point we're playing that first weekend in march that's what we're that's that's the way i kind of chop up the season and i think you know if you take a look at the season as a whole and you get you know, off to a slow start, you kind of think, well, oh my God, this season's going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. You know, you just got to ride it out. You just got to keep chipping away at it, keep chopping wood every day. And, and we're seeing that. And again, the Liberty are really, really talented. The Dallas has one of the best players in the league. So I'm not saying that there's a bunch of dorks on those teams. They're, they're good teams with good players, but you just got to keep working away at it. And I, I think we're seeing that with these two teams in particular. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, with the way that, the women are paid they don't get paid as much in the wnba so a lot of them are playing overseas and then coming into the wnba season yeah and so you know you're used to playing with whoever over in you know in in europe or asia or wherever and now you come back to the states and you've got new teammates it takes time to build that chemistry Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and for a lot of these players they get paid a lot more overseas than they do in the states as well so you know, the prestige of playing for the WNBA and being in America and being on American television is is the appeal, but their real bread is buttered in Europe, in like you said, in China or other places, Japan, etc. So um, so yeah, should be good should be a good stretch run here, Tony. Should be a good stretch run and and uh, about how many weeks do we have left in the regular season here? It's gotta be closing pretty quick. I think it's just a couple. Yeah. So um, let's let's take a quick look here. I'm just gonna grab a random schedule. Um, yeah, around September 10th. So, uh, we are closing in on the the playoffs. Uh, starting, yeah, right after Labor Day. So leading up okay. to the start of the the NBA uh, season here. So, um, let's stay in the women's game, Tony. Let's talk about a little Paige Beckers here. She has been cleared to go. Uh, UConn is taking a foreign trip, and I don't believe she is playing, but she has been fully cleared. And, and how does that change the, the landscape of things? 
you know, you take a look at LSU with what they did in the, you know, with the transfer portal with uh, NIL and different things like that with adding the Haley Van Lith from uh, Louisville and then they added the Morrow kid from DePaul to yep. what they have coming back with Angel Reese and the recruiting class they have coming in. I mean, LSU looks like a team that could go down as one of the best teams of all time in terms of the talent level. And I think UConn is the only other team out there that maybe is comparable from a talent level with LSU. Uh, When Beckers was healthy freshman, sophomore year, you know, arguably the best player in the country Mm -hmm. Um, didn't play last year because of the the knee injury and such. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how she comes back. You know, if you had given me a choice freshman, sophomore year between her and Caitlin Clark, I would have taken Paige to be honest with you. And now I would take Caitlin, and I don't think I would take very long to make that decision. Yeah. Um, you know, whoops. Sorry. Hit the wrong button there. Uh, yeah, LSU and UConn are one, two. Um, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this. I apologize. AZ Fudd, who I, I, I've seen her play. I, I think I pronounced it correctly. Um, she is really, really good. And, and, and so you have Paige. You have her in the backcourt. Uh, you've got... Uh, Aaliyah, Edwards. Aaliyah Edwards and I mean that's 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 a that's a big three upon big threes and, you know so you've got the big those big three against Haley Van Lith, Angel Reese and uh, the Morris girl from DePaul and you know that's just one heck of a of a triumvirate there going against the other ones so uh, it, you know it's 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 going to be a heck of a deal I think those two are, are very clearly one and two uh, and, and then it's it's a race after that and I think Becker's really evens the field there i i think uh it's kind of like a little bit of a jamal murray syndrome and, and and Paige becker's overall on the 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 complete landscape is better than a jamal murray is and jamal murray's really good don't get me wrong but we had forgotten how good jamal murray was and how well he played with Jokic for a couple of years because he was gone for a couple of years i think we've forgotten how good Paige becker's really is and and it's probably going to take her a while. We're probably not going to see the true Paige Beckers until probably after Christmas uh, as she continues to gain confidence in the knee and uh, get back into the flow of things and at playing at that level, at that high level. So it, it should be a heck of a season in women's college basketball. Yeah, you know, with her, we mentioned Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark. You know, if they decide to come out, which one of those, if you're a WNBA team, you know, whether you're the – Indiana Fever or whichever team is going to get that number one pick, which one of those three would you take? I don't think you can go wrong, but the big thing will be, will they come out or will they stay in college and make more money with NIL than what they would in the WNBA? I would have, it would be a hard sell to the owner of your team, your franchise. And Caitlin Clark is sitting there. Not only the skill of her as a player, but just the draw of her, it would be, <laughs> boy, you better have uh, some some really, really, uh, your, your scouting department better be really, really convinced that, that Angel, and that's nothing against Angel Reese or, or Paige Beckers or anybody else that might be considered for that spot, but it's not just on the floor. It's the attention that Caitlin Clark is going to bring to the NBA when she comes into the league off the floor and the way she has in so many ways changed the game. And you and I are probably a little bit more sensitive to it because it's it's in our backyard. But, man, I, I just haven't – I don't recall the last female athlete to have the – uh, attention that's been given to Caitlin Clark, both on and off the floor, and so I think, you know, that would be my opinion, Tony. I don't know how you feel. What do you think? I would say, you know, obviously going into the season, all things where they're at, if it plays its way out, I think she's the unquestionable number one draft pick. But from what I've heard, I think she makes over a million dollars through NIL. I don't know if she's going to come out. Last I had heard, I think she was 60-40, leaning to playing a fifth year at Iowa. Wow. Wow, that would be amazing. And, I mean, you can't blame her because I think, uh, you know, the high, you know, she's taken probably a minimum 80% uh, pay cut and probably more than that. 
probably more because I think the high end players in the WNBA, you know, just crack a little bit over six figures, I think. So, um, that's, that's, uh, that's crazy math there, Tony Viss. That's, that's pretty crazy math for two social studies teachers. So that is, yeah. we got to keep it simple. Otherwise we're gonna have to take our socks off and start using our toes. Yeah. And, and, and I only have eight toes left after, you know, certain events in my life. I'm just kidding. I do have all 10. That That's gross. And yeah, I might have to edit that one out. So, uh, <laughs> um, how about, how about, uh, how would you like to sit down for a dinner? Me, you, James Harden, Daryl Morey. How do you think that would go right now, Tony? That'd be, that'd be kind of awkward. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the, what's the end game here, buddy? James is, I think in the past, you know, he ended up, He's gotten coaches obviously fired in the past. Kevin McGill being an example, he spoke out recently against him as well. But I think James's his end game is he wants to blow things up and force a trade. And, you know, Daryl Morey, I think, maybe made a promise to him to pay him better. If he took a little bit less money, he would get him on the next contract and didn't. James is mad, called him a liar, and then got fined $100,000. Mm-hmm. I had heard that the liar comment, this was on, I think, Brian Windhorst's, I I can't remember if it was that or uh, the mismatch, Uh, the liar comment was based mainly on that Maury promised to trade him and he hasn't traded him yet. Um, not so much the contract stuff, because I think they would both be in a lot of trouble if they colluded to yes. to do that. So I think that might be the official company line is, you know, that's that's where he's going with it. So I uh, I don't know. I, I, I just think that this, this is not going to end well for James Harden, in my opinion. I, I just, he, he is uh he's an immensely talented player uh and he kind of has you know he's had the patrick ewing uh charles barkley luck of being at the wrong place at the wrong time being one of the best players in the league carl malone you know uh when they were playing against jordan and those guys probably should have won a championship or two apiece uh but harden's best years coincided with the super run by the by the warriors um, so I'm not taking any, anything away from him, but at, at some point you are who you are. And, and this guy has done nothing but think, uh, at least public, the public perception is, uh, I have done nothing but think of myself and, and you can make the, you can make the claim. Well, he led the NBA in assists last year. That means he's really unselfish. Well, you know what? Wilt Chamberlain led the NBA and assists one year. And Wilt Chamberlain is famously one of the most selfish players ever to play the game. He was so selfish that he said, I'm going to prove how unselfish I am by not being selfish as a player and dominating around the basket the way I'm capable of and hurting the team by looking to pass more type of a deal. Mm-hmm. And and so I just, uh, I, I don't know if we need to make a rule that we're not going to talk about this subject anymore in the TWIB se- segment until it's resolved. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just tired of it. And I, I think a lot of times we've evolved where uh, it used to be that fans always sided with management and saw players were were spoiled. And then we kind of had the player empowerment era. And then I think with with guy and, and and guys like LeBron can get away with that because he's really been nothing but an unselfish player. He's always you know say what you want to about LeBron. His his teams have had success. Uh, wherever he's gone, you don't go to ten consecutive finals or whatever it was without being concerned about the team first. Uh, but you know, when you start doing that, then you can start making some demands. And and, and Harden is just not at that level. And and his his because of his off the court regimen or lack thereof, his his skills are starting to diminish and he's not worth the money that he once was. And if you're not worth the money, if you're not delivering, then you're not going to be worth the headache. And you can ask Russell Westbrook that. You can ask Allen Iverson that. You can ask Carmelo Anthony that. That, you know, franchises will put up with a lot of stuff if you're producing. But if you're not producing, if you're not taking care of business and if you're pulling stuff like this, we'll move on and we'll get somebody else. I, I think that's one of the new lessons of the NBA in the last 20 to 25 years. And, you know, LeBron has kept his nose clean, at least from what we know, off the court. James has had some pretty pretty uh, 
famous or infamous run-ins, if you will, off the court. Mm-hmm. Um, Father Time's undefeated. Yep. And it's one of those things where with James, ego's hard, where, hey, you know, I'm one of the top three to five players in the world. Used to be. Mm-hmm. You're not anymore. Yeah. And and that's hard to kind of come to grips with because the big thing with the Sixers is they understand Tyrese Maxey is a budding star. Yep. If you keep him with James Harden, he's not going to develop and be the player that he can be. But at the same time, James doesn't understand that there's not a lot of other franchises that want him. Yeah. And with the way that he's conducting himself, he's making what the Sixers can get for him very, very low. Yeah. And so they're almost better to hang on to him. But a disgruntled James Harden is going to come in probably 50 to 75 pounds overweight. And that's that's not going to be a, a good a good recipe and i think what's going to happen eventually is you're going to see joel Embiid blow up this whole thing and i think you're going to see him demand a trade as well and that's you know you you listen to the pundits uh saying that is the the worst case scenario for the sixers and and sometimes less is more i i I, you know i i would uh give me you know and again we i think we talked about this earlier tony uh, the, the the thought of the big three is not what it once was. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you take it. How did how did the Nuggets win? They had two really good guys and some guys who were stars in their role. Exactly, and and one of those guys happened to be one of the two or three best players, and he kind of proved that he was the best player uh, throughout the playoffs here. Uh, but Embiid is right there with Jokic. Can Maxi do a Jamal Murray, and then you trade Harden for some pieces around the edges that it's actually going to make your team better, even though you don't have the individual talent, and you know so forth and so on. And that's the way I would kind of think at it. I wouldn't, me personally, I would not look at the big game hunting, star hunting. I, I'm I'm looking at depth and protecting Embiid and and doing those type of things because yeah, at some point the dude's just going to be like, all right enough of this circus. I mean, I, you know, Dame Lillard got there. Kevin Garnett got there. Don't tell me that he's not going to get there at some point as well. If if this continues. So, um, how about a little FIBA? Let's finish on FIBA here, Tony. We both watched the game against Germany, uh, on Sunday, your thoughts on team USA as we head into the FIBA world cup. Uh, by the time folks listen to this, uh, our opening game will be that day on Friday. Yeah. Um, it was it was a great game. I guess I wasn't aware how good Germany was, but then come to find out that Germany had beat Canada recently in one of the tune-up games. Uh, had the U.S. down, I believe, by 15 in the third quarter, if, yeah. if I remember 16. My, my scoring correctly. Uh, but then all of a sudden you saw what a lot of people thought. Anthony Edwards is going to become the breakout star. Dude had 34 uh, hit a tying three pointer that led them, you know, to take the lead and to eventually pull the thing out. Um, but I give Steve Kerr credit. Uh, Jalen Brunson didn't have his best game. He stuck with Tyrese Halliburton instead. Yep. And Tyrese Halliburton rewarded his confidence. He played really well. Yep. Um, but yeah, I was just very, very impressed with Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, but yeah, the U.S., it's not going to be a cakewalk, but this team, you know, with playing. Germany and playing Spain and being pushed like they have been, I really think they're going to be the the gold medal favorites, but it's going to be a dog eat dog contest to get that, that gold medal. Yeah. Uh, Not only uh, was Brunson out for most of the second half, uh, Brandon Ingram was another starter that he went out and he didn't come back in the entire fourth quarter. I'm pretty sure. Uh, And, and uh, the other guy, Along with Walk or uh, Edwards and um, Halliburton, that I really and this pains me, Tony, because I am as much as I love winning time the show. I am not a huge L.A. Laker fan, uh, never have been, but I really like Austin Reeves and the way he plays basketball. And I was really, I think he is the perfect guy for this situation. I think he just fits in. He's so malleable. He can play the two, three, stretch four. Uh, sticks his nose into the fight, can shoot it, can go off the bounce, will take charges. I just I just really like the way he plays basketball, and I think he's a great fit alongside, uh, you know, whatever combination of fellas you want to put out him out there with, you know, whether it's Halliburton, you know, Edwards, like you said, the the unquestioned alpha of this team, and, and, and he's really growing into that. And so 
that was the other guy that I thought played really, really well on Sunday, along with Halliburton and Edwards. Yeah, Reeves, you know, is one of those guys who's just a gym rat, has worked his way into being a really great player. And what better preparation to play for Team USA than to play with LeBron? Because he's used to playing off the ball yep. and finding ways to great kind of put his hard hat on and, and, and impact the game differently than, than dominating the ball with his or dominating the you know the the game with the ball in his hands all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's a great point about the off the ball stuff, Tony. Um, I hadn't thought about that, and and you are correct. He is far and away the the third guy in L.A., and so he's got to learn how to make plays, whether it's off cuts, off of rolling, off of screens, slipping screens, different things like that. And so that makes him really, really good for the international game in this particular situation. So well done, my friend. Very well done. So um, anything else, Tony? Let's wrap it up here. We've been we've been chatting for over an hour now, so. Anything else that uh, that we got to talk about? You know, I think the going back to where we started, how to fix youth basketball, the handful of items that, that you know, you provided out there along with some of the things that I said, I think there's some really good things there. I hope that the powers that be, whoever that, that is, uh, I hope there are some steps that are taken because it seems like this thing is on the verge of collapse, if you will, uh-huh. and, and needs some major need some major uh, legislation uh, measures put into place before before it implodes. Yeah, it, it definitely needs some TLC and and some some real long term thought. You know, is it our job to keep this such and such program afloat for a year or two and and charge? outrageous prices at the doors for admittance and and this that and the other thing or is it uh do we need to take a step back maybe make things worse for a short amount of time to make it better and have that long-term point of view and i think that's a big question that we we need to start asking ourselves when it comes to to youth basketball and making it good for as many people as we possibly can and that's what we want so yep you want what's best for the kids yep Episode 52, in the books, Mr. Viss. Um, yeah, I think we just solved all the world's problems. I, th- I think we're good. What do you say we go for some Arby's and get some curly fries or something? I think that's a great idea. And then episode 53, we'll do uh, Middle East Peace. <laughs> that's, that, that, that sounds great. That sounds great. Um, uh, let me get out my uh, old uh, Henry Kissinger autobiography here and, and, and let me see what I can do here with a little shuttle diplomacy or something like that. So, uh, well, happy anniversary, Tony. Uh, it's been 50, too, Marty. 52 wonderful weeks. It's been awesome. And uh, let's let's just keep it rolling. All right, buddy? All right, man. All right. Uh, again, episode 52, Fixing Youth Basketball. Hope you folks enjoyed it. Hopefully there's some ideas. That, you know, uh, we, we, you know, we didn't want to overturn that apple cart with anything here, but we wanted to bring up some things, talk about some stuff. And if you got any ideas, if you got any comments on this, you know how to get a hold of us. Uh, again, we're, we're just seasoned and experienced coaches who want to see the game grow the right way and that's that's our only motivation with with what we were talking about here today so i hope folks see that so coaches as always let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time